last few weeks, Australian Wool Innovation or AWI trade consultant Scott Carmody has had a good view of the wool industry post the farm gate. He's just back from the International Wool Textile Organisation or IWTO conference in Japan and before that travelled to China and met with many of the biggest wool processors there. So what does he have to say? Let's find out. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So we've heard from Scott Carmody many times on The Yarn over the years, but after these recent trips, he's returned more optimistic about the future for wool, particularly in the medium to long term. I'd say it's a slow burn at the moment. The um, It's a very cautious approach that you know, all sectors of the supply chain are um, undertaking, and that's their strategies at the moment, is keep the inventory ticking over, don't spook the market. It's an unknown factor. You know, we're in a downturn for production, but the same as the broader wools, the merino wools are the same. We need that you know, next winter in the Northern Hemisphere to sell. We always sell around 70, 75% of our merino wools at that time for that, you know, it's a... I know wool's a trans-seasonal fibre, but we're still selling into that uh, winter period for most of our product. So we're going to need to see some real sharp interest come September, September, October, that sort of period, to enable production runs to hit hit their peak during you know, October to get them on the shelves for the December sales and onwards, December, January, February. That's what we need to see. A lot of the investment is um, uh, in the machinery it is quite a... Um, quite a vote of confidence for the wool industry at the moment. There's two or three big mills in China, you know, one mill in particular. But, you know, they've got an investment running at the moment for $180 million new factory. They're, they're you know, the second biggest top maker in China at the moment, but they're, they're not sitting on their hands. They're, they're getting ready for an improvement. They want to improve their quality. They want to match the uh, Europeans for quality so they can supply the wool top into China, into um, Europe, sorry, ex-China. That's a tough slog, but, you know, that's what their plans are. And to, to back it with 180 million US dollar investment in, into new factory, um, that that's quite a significant boost for, for the confidence of wool. Um, another factory up north in the Zhangjiang area, they're, they're they're doing the same. They're moving from a 14 million kilo of top facility, and they're pushing out towards that 18 to 20 million kilos. So this is all good. This is this is investment undertaken by the Chinese in our industry. This is privately owned enterprises. This is not government, state-owned enterprises. This is this is private guys saying. You know, I want to be part of this industry. I want to be part of it for a long time. So the way they're talking about the industry at the moment, Chinese, is, you know, we, we, um, our latest trip to China three weeks ago, we, you know, we, we thanked on behalf of the wool growers that support China gave us through COVID, which you know, wool prices suffered a little, but you know, not as much as any other product that I can see. So the thanks were there for the Chinese and said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a marriage. You know, we're married. We're, we're married to the Australian wool grower. You know, we can't run our factories without them and I'm sure they can't grow the wool without us. So we see like we're in a long-term marriage. And they said, and hopefully it'll be a good one. Yeah, that is, um, it is interesting, isn't it? We often forget just how reliant uh, Chinese processes and, and, and any wool processor really is on uh, the Australian wool grower, just as, as you say, we are dependent on people at the other end um, utilising our, our product. So it's um, it's very interesting. But uh, is it a case of the, the, the bigger fish eating the smaller fish with the Chinese processes or are those second and third tier uh, manufacturers' processes also, uh, also expanding? 
Yeah, no, the, the former's the answer. The, um, the big are feeding off the small, but um, there's no intention of theirs. They're, they're just needing to show growth in their in their books. They need to grow. And it, it is definitely at the... Um, not not wholly... Uh, all these little guys aren't getting pushed out, but there are some casualties along the way, for sure. They can't compete. When you get such a, such a large... Um, particularly in manufacturing, you get a large advantage by running a lot of machines at a production speed that they can't match and at a volume they can't match. Obviously, they've got to choose, uh, you know, a different path to follow unless, you know... Unless they've got a unique little niche business or something, which which they, some of them do, um, but they're definitely definitely a few of the little guys get knocked out of the way on the way through. But that's just purely not by intent. That's just you know, that's just normal business in any manufacturing game. That's going to happen. Um, there are quite, uh, I would say, ten to fifteen large, and I mean large, factories in China. So there's, there's the competition between just three or four of them, uh, pretty good. But when you start talking eight, ten, fifteen of these larger, you know, first stage manufacturers, you, you're talking pretty good competition there. Now these these people are going to compete against each other for the strongest possible bottom line on their results, um, and they're going to compete strongly for our wool at auction. And this is this is the advantage of having, you know, a country like China who can process, you know, eighty percent, seventy five, eighty percent of our wool, and the more we you know, coming out of this COVID problem, which is a, which has really affected the uh, domestic in China um, consumption of wool product, particularly you know, at the luxury side of things, which wool has to be in order to you know, be a luxury product and be a high enough price for growers to keep growing it. Um, we need them to keep recovering because 50% of the wool that we're processing in China is actually maintained um, as a sale in China. So it never leaves China as a product. It stays in there and is being consumed. Now, the, most of the um, uh, uh, Chinese president, IWTA, well, they were saying that their, their, their inquiry is getting much stronger. You know, they're, they're already getting feelers put in for the next season, which is the you know, the uh, 23, 24 you know, winter you know, season coming up. And so they're seeing that a little bit earlier than normal. That's generally an indicator of the stock levels being under control again, whereas the past six months has been obviously affected by stocks in Merino wool. People have had that little bit too much that they needed. And just with that slowdown of the industry, which we've seen over the last two or three months, that's just affected it, and that's why the price at the moment is probably dripping down that you know, ten or fifteen, twenty cents a week on 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 the indicators. So it's not damaging it too badly. Um, I don't like to see bull prices fall at all. I like to always see the prices heading up. It's much easier you know, to trade. It's you know, confidence builds. It's better for everyone. The, the, the growing of it, the buying of it, and the processing of it. It's, it's no good for anyone if, you know, they've bought wool two weeks ago and then two weeks later it's 20 or 30 or 40 cents cheaper. The, the buyer overseas doesn't like to see that, neither do we. We're hearing that uh, you're cautiously optimistic overseas, but the, mar- the market keeps slipping. So uh, what are you hoping to see in the next six months? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking for a big spike in the market at some point. Um, obviously, cl- the closer to the winter period, we're going to find that out, the Northern Hemisphere winter. Um, and looking at that, um, yeah, we're, we're going to with pretty small offerings in the next um, month or so here. Free, free mammals going to go on to an every second week sale. They're running out of quantity there to sell for the next um, month or so. Then we head into the to the, um, the the, the three week recess over July, heading into August. So we, we're going into pretty tight two months as far as supply goes. So that that can sometimes in itself um, cause a bit of a squeeze, um, generally towards the end of June. You know, that's, that's a little bit likely in, in um, some regards. 
And then through the August is always soft. August August is still a peeling out month a little bit early to to buy stock or to get some orders going for the for the peak production areas. But by September, October, we're gonna see some very, very clear signals hopefully and, and hopefully those signals are very positive for the wool grower. And that, that should see hopefully uh, those sig- signals convert fully into new business for the exporters and the top makers and the, and the yarn makers and see wool you know, flow through the system at better prices because I think everyone realises it's not the price at the moment that's hampering it. It's, it's actually people walking into stores or getting online and, and buying buying our product that we've got to sell. You know, people, people are consumers at the moment. They're being a little bit cautious. Um, I think you mentioned earlier about the debt ceiling in the States, you know, bank, banks going down in the States, the Swiss bank going down. These are all things that makes the consumer nervous. And I think everyone that's been in the bull industry for, um, you know, from growing right through to the exporting, through to the making, you know, we rely on a bit of confidence. You know, we're a confident industry. And when we're confident, I think this, this, this industry works for everybody. But you know, when we're a little bit down or we're a little bit lacking confidence, you can you can lose a little bit of impetus to, you know, just keep the market, you know, heading in the right direction. And I think at the moment there's that indecision is, is causing that. Not so much of a lack of demand. The demand's obviously there. We're selling every bale, you know, 90% of every bale that's going to auction, uh, which is pretty normal. That's about the figure. Um, so, you know, everything's looking a little bit... It's like, you know, it's a slow burn, I think I said earlier at the moment. It's a slow burn and we just hope we don't fizzle out. We just keep this thing on, on, on a little bit of a... On a bit of a positive trajectory coming up into our lower volume periods, and that can you know, hopefully lead to better things. So, Scott, really to sort of sum up, um, your travels across Asia in recent weeks, have, you've, you've come back from um, China and Japan with, with cautious optimism towards um, the medium term for wool. In the short term, there's a lot of questions uh, around the global economy and uh, People are cautious and creeping forward, but overall it sounds like that towards the second half of this calendar year, um, things you're expecting things to pick up. Well, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's imperative we do, and I think the factories and uh, all parts of supply chain recognise that, that you know, we need to be pushing, pushing this fibre and pushing it as hard as we can, and we're getting back to some of the levels that we're used to having. You know, um, they're fully aware that wool growers will not grow wool at the prices too low. They are fully aware of that. They, um, all the factories, all the manufacturers know that, you know, this is not a supermarket. They just can't come here and say, I want 100 bales of that, 100 bales of that, and this is how I want them. They know they have to fight and compete for them. Um, at the moment, the business is a bit sloppy. It's, you know, obviously sloppy, but we're still getting, a you know, 1,400 cents clean for a 21 micron, and, you know, we're getting... You know, verging on nearly 2,000 for a 17 micron. So it's not disaster by any means. It's actually quite a, a reasonable sort of income, you know, particularly with the mutton prices where they are and the lamb prices. You know, 65 or $70 fleece is now looking quite like a banker, whereas, you know, obviously when you get $200 lamb, it doesn't look so sweet. But, you know, that, that's always been there. That 65 to $80 fleece has, has always been there, but, you know, except for the stockpile era. And, um, you know, that that... that yeah, that goes a long way to pay groceries and, and you know gets the upkeep going and you know on farm you know costs getting paid. You know, it's 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 nothing to be sneezed at the price of fleece mobile on the merino side. Same can't be said for the broadwalls, unfortunately. Well, Scott, thank you very much again for your insight. You've had a very good look around in recent weeks, and we very much appreciate uh, your your insights into what is an amazing industry. Thanks, Maurice. It's always good to chat to you. 
Scott Carmody, the Trade Consultant for Australian Wool Innovation, or AWI. You can, of course, subscribe to daily, weekly, and monthly market reports from AWI. Head to the Market Intelligence section at wool.com. So that's it for this episode of The Yarn. From me, Mary's coming. Thanks for your company. Mm-hmm.